Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. We're studying Isaiah, and we've been going through since chapter 1. Today we're in chapter 21, we're going to go through 23, but I want to set the stage in case this is your first Sunday, or in case you're like me, where you can give direct attention for a solid three minutes, and then you're thinking about something shiny, and then you come back, and you may have just missed where we are. The setting for where we are in Isaiah is uh, 700-ish B.C., We're set in the nation of Israel, but it's in the southern kingdom of Judah. The nation has split. There are two kings. There's a northern kingdom. It's called Israel. There's a southern kingdom. It's called Judah. And in Judah, in the southern kingdom, there's a king, and his name is Ahaz. And Ahaz gets word that multiple nations are forming alliances and coming to Israel to destroy them. And Ahaz has to make a decision. Who do I trust? How do I get out of this battle? How do I win? Who can I align myself that will get me out of trouble? And the prophet Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, trust God. And Ahaz and the rest of the people of Judah look at each other and say, let's trust the nations. Don't trust God for getting you out of trouble. Look to the nations. Form an alliance with a stronger nation than the ones who are coming for you, and then you can fight the battle and you can win. That's the setting we're in. Because Ahaz has decided that he's going to form alliances with kingdoms in the world, and the people of Judah are behind him, and Isaiah is standing there with his hands over his face saying, no, no, trust the Lord. So what does Isaiah do in response to Ahaz and the nation choosing to trust other nations rather than God? He writes a series of oracles. The Lord gives him these oracles, and an oracle is essentially a prediction about what's gonna take place in the future. And so what Ahaz, excuse me, what Isaiah does in, relation, in, in response to Ahaz is he says, okay, Ahaz, you want to trust the nations? Here's what God is going to do to the nations. I'm going to tell you the future of the nations in a series of oracles, and it goes from Isaiah chapter 13 through Isaiah chapter 23. So we're almost done today. We'll finish the oracles today. But that is the oracles. The oracles are a decree don't trust the nations because one, they are under God's judgment and they will ultimately be destroyed. Do not put your hope or, or a sense of identity in, in this nation or, or, or this power structure because it is under God's judgment and in a few short years, that nation won't even exist anymore. So don't look to them for help. But also don't look to them for help because many of these nations that you're running to for help in the end will ultimately turn and run to you for help. Don't look to Moab for Help, because Moab's going to come knocking at your door asking for help. It's going to be miles and miles of refugees saying, please help us because Assyria destroyed our home. 
So don't trust these nations because half of them are under destruction and they're gonna be destroyed and the other half are gonna end up coming to you anyway. But the other reason why you don't trust the nations of this world is because the nations always want the same thing. They wanna trade security for conformity. They will promise you, I'll take care of you. I'll make sure you've got just enough money in your bank account every month. I'll create systems and structures so you don't have to think about where you're gonna live when you're old. We'll comfort you, we'll be there for you. We'll be the family you never had. We'll make sure you're taken care of. We only ask one thing, complete allegiance to the way that we think. It's always been that way. Every power structure that has ever existed in the world always wants the same thing, your heart. And they'll promise you security for it. The problem is, we've been told in the word what happens to that promise. It always fails because the nations are either under judgment and they won't be around long enough to fulfill their promise or they're gonna end up turning and running to our God. And as we've been reading through the, the oracles from 13 up to 20, we've started to discover that this message that Isaiah is giving the people of God is deeper than just nations. These nations are actually ideologies and systems and worldviews. So when Isaiah says something like, don't trust Philistia, don't trust Cush, don't trust Egypt, the translation is don't trust their technology, don't trust their wisdom, don't trust the diplomacy of this nation to save you or give you an identity. And this is why studying Isaiah is so important. Because 2,700 years ago, this is the thing that the people of God were struggling with, and today this is the same thing that the people of God are struggling with. Where do I get my identity from? Is it this new social movement that tells me how to think about things? Is it this new book that was written that tells me how to handle my finances? Is it this new podcast I started listening to that's telling me how to, how, to, how, to, how to think about this? So studying the oracles is twofold. One for us, it's a historical study because this is an actual legitimate thing that happened in the history of time. But it's also a current event study. It's a call to holiness. And the call is get the worldliness out of your heart and out of your family and out of the church. Stop forming alliances in here and in your family and in the church with the ways of this world, telling yourself will accomplish God's purposes with the tools made by the hands of man. It never works out. There's only one way to accomplish God's purposes, and that is through following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Guess who accomplishes God's purposes the best? God accomplishes God's purposes the best. So you wanna build God's kingdom? You don't use your tools. You don't use your solutions. You don't use your crafty way of thinking. You follow what he tells us to do, and he does the rest. He says, do this, yes, Lord. He says, do this, yes, Lord. And through that obedience, people's lives start transforming. You with me? The call is trust the Lord 
not whatever the new offer of the world is. Did I say trust the world? I said trust the Lord. Sorry, up here, man, oof, these lights. Trust the Lord, don't trust the world. Okay, so with that in mind, I've got another map for you. Let's throw that up on the screen. Last week, we went through the, uh, the oracles of the nations. I made sure that you guys had a clear understanding of where the nations were in relation to what we were talking about. So this is a new map. So this will cover uh, Isaiah chapter 21 through 23. I forgot to put the last map uh, on Slack for last week. So when I post the sermon this afternoon on our social media uh, through Slack, I will make sure that I post both of these maps just so you guys can sit and stare at them. Um, so here's where we are today. The nations we're covering today are Babylon, Judah, Edom. Now in the prophecy, it's referred to as Duma, but Duma was one of the largest cities in the area, so that, that's actually Edom. Arabia, and Tyre, and Sidon. Those are the regions we're going to cover today. So now that you know what we're going to cover, let's get into it. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 21, and we're going to read verses 1 through 5. Just a disclaimer as you're turning there. I encourage you to bring your Bibles because that's the only way you can kind of mark up and really get into it and go read afterwards. We put this up on the screen just so we can all be on the same page, but like, don't always just rely on this. Get a paper Bible and start getting into it. If you got your phone, well, that's fine. The only problem is you're constantly fighting the, the, th- the other things on your phone that want your attention, right? This right here won't tell you that somebody liked one of your posts on Facebook. <clears throat> so get a paper Bible, start reading it. I read, uh, I got a question this week. Uh, I realize I never say this, but I read from the ESV translation, English Standard Version. You don't have to read from this one. This is just the one that I read from. Um, let's get into it. Isaiah chapter 21. Oh, the disclaimer. That's right. This is really weird today. I, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. It was difficult to prepare this. I had to do a lot of background study on this because it is super weird. There's a lot of um, uh, assumption on the part. If you were a Jew in 700 BC and you read Isaiah's words, you're like, mm, I know exactly what he's talking about. But to us Americans in 2021, you're like, man, I don't know what he's talking about. So my goal today is we're going to read read, uh, fewer chunks of Scripture, and then I'm going to kind of uh, give you some background history, because he's talking about things that are happening in the future, and he's talking about things that are happening right then, but he's doing it all with the language of prophecy. So it's a little tough to understand, but um, we're going to do our best. So Isaiah 21, verse 1. It says, the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea first weird thing, okay? This is Babylon. Why is it referred to as the wilderness of the sea? Babylon is landlocked, right? There's no sea near Babylon. The Euphrates River runs through the middle of it, but what is the prophet saying? That's the first weird one, okay? So the oracle concerning the wilderness of the sea, this is uh, about Babylon. As whirlwinds in the Negeb sweep on, Negeb is a desert, It comes from the wilderness, from a terrible land. A stern vision is told to me. The traitor betrays and the the destroyer destroys. Go up, O Elam, lay siege, O Media. All the sighing she has caused, I will bring to an end. 
Therefore, my loins are filled with anguish. Pangs have seized me like the pangs of a woman in labor. I am bowed down so that I cannot hear. I am dismayed so that I cannot see. My heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I longed for has been turned for me into trembling. And they prepare the table. They spread the rugs, they eat, they drink. They shout things like, arise, O princes, oil the shield. What in the world is going on? All right, so this oracle begins with a vision. This is is what's happening. Isaiah is seeing a vision. We know that because in in verse two, he says a, a stern vision is told to me. So he sees this vision and in the vision, He's looking across the desert and he sees a stirring across the desert that's moving across almost like a whirlwind sweeping across the desert. It's massive and it's fast and it's covering all the ground. And as he's looking at this massive thing sweeping across the desert, he hears a voice declaring that a plan has been put in place to end this conquering thing moving across the desert. Now what is the thing moving across the desert? It's a nation. What is the nation who is conquering the region at the time? It's Assyria. So Isaiah is seeing a vision of this stirring, blowing across the desert like a, like a huge just dust storm blowing across the desert, and the storm is Assyria. And it is just swallowing everything in its wake. And as Isaiah is seeing this, he hears the voices. Someone stands up and says, we got a plan to stop this. That traitor betrays a destroyer that destroys, we got a plan for this. All the sighing she's caused, it's gonna come to an end. That's verses one and two. But then in verses three through five, we pivot to Isaiah's response. So Isaiah sees Assyria sweeping through the nation and he, he hears that someone's got a plan to stop it. And you would think that his response would be, praise God, finally. But that's not his response. Verse three, his response is loins are filled with anguish. Pangs have seized me. He's dismayed. He's in horror. So Isaiah's response to this vision is weeping and anguish and horror. Why is his response weeping and anguish and horror? Because he also sees out of this voice that someone's got a, a, a plan, he starts to see a banquet set. And he sees tables and people are eating and discussing this plan and they're shouting things like, man, we've, we're gonna take them on, we're gonna win, let's go to war, let's oil the shields, baby, let's go to war. We're gonna, we're gonna stop the destroyer, finally, this land is gonna be at peace. And they're discussing this all over a, ta- a table that's been uh, spread and rugs that's been spread and they're eating and they're drinking. What is happening in this vision? Well, Isaiah, is looking in the future about 11 years and he sees the events 
of Isaiah 39. Now, we're not there yet. We'll get there, but I'm going to give you a little bit of um, synopsis of what Isaiah is seeing. And this is why it's so confusing, because he's seeing something that's happening in his future, but it's not a thing that most of us Christians walk around with in our head. He's seeing the events of this king named Hezekiah. And most of us are like, I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure I've heard that name before. I don't know anything about the guy. But I do know that name. And that's why this is so confusing. That's why this prophecy is confusing, and that's why the Bible seems intimidating. Because most of us feel like I can't read this because there is a lot of back knowledge that I am lacking and uh, it would be too much. I don't know where to look. I don't know what to study. And so I just don't really ever get to it. Look, I'm in the lovingest way possible. I'm just gonna tell you that's not an excuse. In the world that we live in today, It's just not a good enough excuse anymore. I don't know where to start, I don't know what to look. If there was ever a time in history where the people of God needed to get serious about what we're supposed to be doing and and, and who we're supposed to be following, it is right now. The majority of the issues that we see among the people of God today, I am convinced, are connected to the last 30 years of churches doing a very poor job of teaching people this. So when you show up this morning, you're like, this place is weird. We got a map up here. I've not, I've, I don't think I've ever read Isaiah 21. This is why we're doing this. Because we need to be a people who, are, who understand the rich history we come from and the understanding that these people here, Hezekiah, Ahaz, these, these are our ancestors in faith. We're connected to these people. Jesus didn't show up on the scene and say, hey guys, I've got something brand new. No one's ever seen it before, here we go. No, he is connected to thousands of years of God working through his people. Just because the cross happened and Jesus rose from the dead does not mean that everything from Genesis to Malachi is suddenly not important to us anymore. No, no, it is like the seasoning on the meal. Can you enjoy the meal without salt? You can, I just wouldn't recommend it. Because the moment you start adding seasoning to it and you start setting the table around it, all of a sudden that meal that is just as nourishing as it was before has context and seasoning and flavoring and, and it blows your mind because you start realizing that this world doesn't revolve around you and what Jesus did to you. You are one part in a long story that's been taking place for thousands of years and all of a sudden everything stops being about you. That's why we read the Old Testament. Because it ain't about you. It's not about me. It's about what God is doing through his people. So what is Isaiah seeing in Isaiah uh, in this vision? Well, let me give you a little background. What's going to happen in 11 years from now in Isaiah 39, Assyria is going to be sweeping through the land. He's going to be conquering everybody in sight. And uh, this nation called Babylon, right over here, they're going to have enough of it. Babylon was under Assyrian control at the time. And they're going to say, you know what? We're tired of it. We don't want to be under your control anymore. And a guy named uh, Merodach Baladan is going to rise up and say, I've got a plan. We're gonna stop the destroyer, but we need people with us. So let's go over to the Medes. 
Let's go over to the nation of Elam. Let's form an alliance. Elam was above, just to the north of, of Babylon. Let's form an alliance and let's take on Assyria. And uh, this guy, Merodach Balan, he went down to meet Hezekiah. Hezekiah. He heard word that Hezekiah had been sick, so they sent a delegation down to visit Hezekiah. Hezekiah welcomes them in. They throw a banquet and they discuss battle plans about the possibility of Judah joining up with Babylon and the Medes and Elam to overthrow Assyria. This is coming. That's not it. Hezekiah also took this guy on a tour of the temple and showed him the armory and showed him uh, the, the, uh, the bank account because in the temple uh, housed the armory, all of the weapons. It also housed the entire economy. There were structures for all of these things. They showed him the temple. They showed him the, oh, and then this is the, this is the brazen labor. Isn't this cool? It's overlaid with gold, this whole thing. My, my great-great-grandfather, Solomon, built this whole thing. All of this, this is all gold. Isn't this great? And like, hmm, this is great. This is lovely. When we get to that story, you'll find out later, Isaiah pulled him aside and said, hey, I saw the king of Babylon here. What's he doing here? It's like, oh, he came to see and check on me, see how I'm doing. What did you tell him? Well, I took him on a tour of the temple. We had a dinner. Isaiah's like, what did you do? What have you done? This is exactly what I saw in my vision 11 years ago. The banquet table, the laying of the plans, the joining of the forces. Isaiah is seeing God's people entertain the world and it horrifies them, him. This is what's happening. This is why he's filled with anguish because he's seeing a vision of a looming threat and God's people rather than look to God, look at alliances with Babylon to gather support to take on they're entertaining the plans of the world and it horrifies them. Let's go to verse six. For thus the Lord said to me, go set a watchman. Let him announce what he sees. So this is the Lord telling Isaiah. Set a watchman and let him announce what he sees. When he sees riders and horsemen in pairs, riders on donkeys, riders on camels, let him listen diligently, very diligently. So, so he, he's telling him, he's like, listen, listen, I want you to set a watchman and you're gonna, you're gonna see massive amounts of people coming in for war, but I want you to listen because what you see is not actually what's going to take place. You're gonna see a lot of hope in this world. They're gonna promise a big raise. They're gonna promise security. They're gonna promise that you're gonna be safe and you're gonna be secure. And there's gonna be all these horses backing up, but that's not, what's, that's, not, that's not what's gonna happen. Because in verse eight, then he who saw cried out upon a watchtower, I stand, O Lord, continually by day and at my post, I am stationed whole nights and behold, here comes a rider, horsemen in pairs, just like you said. And he answered, what is the message of the writer? Fallen, fallen is Babylon and all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. Oh, my threshed and winnowed one. That's Israel, Judah. What I've heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I announce to you. That's Isaiah speaking. So the Lord tells Isaiah in response to this vision, we got a nation coming, Judah's gonna trust Babylon rather than me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to set a watchman on the wall. Now this is not an actual real watchman, it's a prophetic way of saying, I want you to, I want you to watch what happens next. 
just like a watchman on the wall, just standing out watching. He's not part of the battle. He's just watching. He's crying out. I want you to stand there. I want you to watch what's going to happen. Judah's going to trust Babylon. And guess what's going to happen? Guess Babylon's going to fall. So you're going to stand up there and you're going to watch and you're going to expect these riders coming in for battle and we're here. We're going to stop Assyria. But the message of the riders is not going to be we're here for war. The message of the riders is going to be Babylon has fallen. There's no more Babylon. What we put our trust in has completely gone because Babylon has fallen. Now this has two specific historical interpretations and commentators argue on this, on what event uh, uh, Isaiah is seeing when, when the writer says fallen is Babylon. There's two main ones. The first is the events in 539 BC that takes place in Daniel chapter five. Remember that one where uh, uh, the, the king of Babylon is sitting at the dinner and all of a sudden a hand appears and starts writing on the wall and it's like, eh, anybody know what that says? No, it is weird though, right? That's weird? Okay. Can we get somebody to interpret this? They pull in Daniel. Daniel's like, uh, yeah, uh, basically you're going to be destroyed. And then that night the Persians came in and overthrew Babylon. That was in 539 BC. That's one event Babylon has fallen. But another one I like a little bit more. Uh, and the reason why is because it took place in 689 BC. And that was when the nation of Elam was around. Elam was no longer around by like 620. So 539 interpretation is a little hard for me to swallow. But 689 BC... Sennacherib, the head of Assyria, came in and conquers Babylon. <clears throat> they found out that Babylon was plotting. So right after the banquet, they come in and Sennacherib levels the city, kills everybody in town, and he fills the city with water. The oracle concerning the wilderness by the sea. Just some food for thought. It doesn't really matter what interpretation you fall with. The message is the same, don't trust Babylon. But that message, don't trust Babylon, doesn't, it's not just for Babylon. It's not just for Isaiah 21. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 18, verses one through four. Revelation 18, one through four says this, after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. This is John's vision of what's gonna happen in the end times. When the, when the end of the world starts happening. Having great authority and the earth was made bright with its glory. All right, Jesus is coming back. And this angel called out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Babylon has taken in everything and said all things are cool. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Does that sound like anything? Babylon is not a nation, it's an ideology. And when a people give themselves to that ideology and that controlling demonic force, it will not satisfy its appetite, it will continue and continue, and continue. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins 
unless you share in her plagues. See, Babylon is gone, but the spirit of Babylon is alive and well, and it has gripped the whole world, and unfortunately, it has also gripped God's people. And so the question I have for us as we're reading Isaiah 21, something that happened 2,700 years ago, is are we entertaining Babylon by providing a banquet and constantly feeding it and satisfying it and stockpiling for it? Or are we like Isaiah who's reacting in horror at the mere thought of entertaining Babylon? There are only two ways to respond to the ideology of this world seeping into the hearts of the people of God. You are either horrified by it or you are praising it and feeding it. So here John's words come out of her. Get this garbage out of your heart and out of your family and out of your church. Because if you don't, you will share in taking part in the plagues. Now verse 11 through 17 switch. They're new oracles, but it's not a new chapter. They're very short, I'm just gonna summarize these rather than read through these because I wanna continue to go through 22. 22 is a big one. But these oracles consider, uh, cover Duma, which is Edom, and Arabia. Now these two areas, Edom and Arabia, Edom less so, more Arabia, were smaller, they're large landmass, but made up of much, like a lot of little smaller tribes. These are kind of nomadic people who are wandering from place to place. There are some cities in these areas, but most of the cities are made up of caravans and traders. And so these areas are just filled with traveling people, smaller groups of people, small groups of people who were convinced that the way to handle the coming Assyria, Assyria, uh, uh, the Assyria threat is to just hide in the sand and pretend like nothing's happening. These are the folks who, they don't want anything to, la, 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 don't, don't tell me, don't wanna know, don't need to know, please. They're convinced that they can just pretend like things are not happening and it will blow over them. As a matter of fact, Edom in the, in the oracle is caught as saying, uh, hey guys, when is this gonna be over? How long is this gonna last? That's the oracle concerning Edom. The only thing they're concerned with is knowing how long this is gonna, is this gonna be over soon? But God, through Isaiah, is telling us, look, even the smallest of nations will be affected by God's plans. You cannot outrun God's plans for the world. You cannot put your hope in avoiding God's plans. You cannot say that we're, weren't exempt. I, I'm gonna live my life in a way where I don't really have an opinion about Jesus. I don't really, I don't know, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God. Well, uh, it's all gonna pan out in the end. It's all, well, it doesn't really matter. No, you will one day stand before a holy God and he will say, um, hey, I see here on this date, you lied. You're a liar. Uh, and you had these immoral thoughts, so you're also an adulterer. Um, you gave yourself to these things in the world, so you're an idolater. So, so, like, how do you plead? 
If you're not pleading the blood of Jesus, if you're not standing before a holy God saying, my sins are forgiven because of the life that Christ lived on my behalf, then you're gonna stand before holy God and give an account for your own sins and you will be guilty and you will be punished. You can't exempt yourself from the history of what God is doing by hiding in a hole and saying, I don't really have any thoughts about these things. And so for the, the, Israel who would, the Israelite who would say, well, I'm gonna put my hope, my, my hope in just pretending like this stuff isn't existing and I'll just ignore it. Isaiah is telling you that's not gonna bring any hope. You have to make a decision about what you think about the Lord. Now go to Isaiah 22, let's go to verses one through seven. The oracle concerning the valley of vision. What do you mean that you have gone up, all of you, to the housetops? You who are full of shoutings, tumultuous city, exultant town. Your slain are not slain with the sword or dead in battle. All your leaders have fled together. Without the bow, they were captured. And all of you who were found were captured, though they had fled far away. Therefore, I say to you, look away from me. Let, my weep bitter, let me weep bitter tears. Do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people, for the Lord God of hosts has a day of tumult and trampling and confusion in the valley of vision. A battling down, a battering down of walls and a shouting to the mountains. And Elam bore the quiver with chariots and horsemen and Kerr uncovered the shield. Your choicest valleys were full of chariots and the horsemen took their stand at the gates. Now this oracle is against Judah. It's referring to the time of Hezekiah around Isaiah 36, when Assyria has conquered every city in the, in the entire nation of Judah except for two. He has not comfort, conquered Lachish and he has not conquered Jerusalem. We're looking at the orange region, region here, Judah, that's the oracle. And the nation of the, the armies of Assyria were in Lachish. And while they were attacking the city of Lachish, one of the ambassadors was sent up to Jerusalem to demand surrender. And this is what we talked about earlier, where the commander demands surrender is the exact same place where Isaiah confronted Ahaz and said, who are you gonna trust? And Ahaz says, I'm gonna trust Babylon. I'm gonna put my I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust the, the kingdoms of this world. In that same spot, this commander comes up and demands of Ahaz's son Hezekiah, surrender. And while they're demanding surrender, <laughs> Egypt comes up from the south, flanks over the Sinai Peninsula, and starts attacking the Assyrians at Lachish. And the delegation has to turn around and run back to Lachish to fight the battle against the Egyptians. And the whole city of Jerusalem erupts in praise. Oh, we're saved. We're saved. They had to run back because now the Egyptians are here. Now the Egyptians are going to conquer the Assyrians. Now we're going to be saved. And Isaiah says, why are you on your rooftop shouting? You haven't been saved from anything. Things are not good. Your people weren't slain in battle, but they're still slain. You people 
are like a valley of vision. Why does he call Judah the valley of vision? Because you don't have any vision in the valley. When you're standing in the valley, you can't see anything but the mountains around you. You've got vision when you're on the mountaintop, but not when you're in the valley. And Isaiah is telling the people, you guys are idiots. You're rejoicing over a short-term win, and you still have not looked to the Lord. But as soon as that army or that delegation ran back to Lachish, Hezekiah started making plans within the city. Let's go to verse 8. He has taken away the covering of Judah, and in that day you looked to the weapons of the house of the forest. And you saw that the breaches of the city of David were many, so you collected the waters of the lower pool. And you counted the houses of Jerusalem, and you broke down the houses to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the two walls from the water of the old pool, but you did not look to him who did it or see him who planned it long ago. And in that day, the Lord God of hosts, he called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and for wearing sackcloth. And behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of hosts has revealed himself in my ear. Surely this iniquity will not be atoned for until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. Now we start to see why Judah gets an oracle. Because the prophet is saying, don't trust the nations. But now the prophet is saying, don't trust yourself. There's a looming threat. What do we do? Well, let's trust this world. That's a bad idea. Okay, well, let's just trust ourselves. Let's trust our own ingenuity. We're smart people. We can get ourselves out of this mess. No, 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 that's a, that's a worse idea. Well, can't we just follow our heart? Can't we just... Can't we just use the information that we've learned over a period? Can't we just put some things together and can we just form a plan and let's look to our leaders and let's look within ourselves? No, no, that's a terrible idea. And the things that are listed in 8 through 14 are things that actually Hezekiah did. Good, smart, logical things. They looked to the armory of the temple. That's the house of the forest. When you walk into the temple, there's a section of the temple called the house of the forest that Solomon had built and it's just filled with all of the weapons. It's the armory for the nation. And Hezekiah, Isaiah is telling Hezekiah, when, when, I, when the delegation from Assyria left back to Lahish and you started fortifying the city, you did everything that seemed right in your own eyes. You went to, to start gathering weapons out of the armory. Um, you started fortifying the city by making reservoirs so that there was water in case the city was surrounded. You started tearing down the houses that were butted up right against uh, the, the, the wall of the city so that it was just rubble so that when we start bringing in uh, battering rams, they can't just take out the, the wall because there's rubble behind it. So so when they, if they get through the wall, they have to get through the rubble of this house. You did all these really smart things that seemed logical in order to save yourself, but you didn't do the one thing that God wanted you to do, which was look to him. You didn't even ask, God, are you orchestrating this? No, you assume because we're God's people, he wants our best life right now and then things are always gonna be peachy. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying that God orchestrated this entire thing to bring about one end and that was repentance. He wanted weeping, he wanted brokenness. He didn't want more feats of strength. 
He didn't want you going around and, uh, and, 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 and making the city stronger. He wanted, he wanted the people to turn to him, not to themselves or each other. Let's go to verse 15. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Come, go to the steward, to Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him. Now, Shebna is a real guy. We'll read about him later on. He was kind of like the prime minister of the nation's affairs. The Lord, says, the Lord of hosts says, go, go to the steward, Shebna, who is over the household, and say to him, uh, what have you to do here? And whom have you here? That you have cut out here a tomb for yourself. You who cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling of yourself in the rock. Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently, O you strong man. He will seize firm hold of you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into a wide land. And there you shall die, and there shall be your glorious chariots, you shame of your master's house. What's happening? Just pause right there. The prime minister of the nation, Shebna, what's he doing? He's building his own tomb. That's what he's spending his time doing. The nation's rallying, tearing houses down, pulling swords out of the armory. What is the prime minister doing? He's overseeing the building of his tomb. Don't look to leaders. And Isaiah says, that tomb, you're not even going to lay in it. The Lord is going to sling you around and toss you out into the world, and you're going to die in battle somewhere in the field. You're not even going to enjoy that tomb. And in fact, I'm going to replace you. Pick it up in verse 19. I will thrust you from your house, excuse me, I'll thrust you from your office, and you will be pulled down from your station. And in that day, that moment, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe. I'm going to replace you, Shebna, with Eliakim. And I'm going to bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. He's going to take your job. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. He's going to be a good guy. And I'm going to place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. And he shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. He's going to have full authority. He's going to be a good dude. And I'm going to fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. But then, what are the people going to do to a person, to a good leader? What are they going to do? They're going to start hanging their troubles on him. They're going to hang on him the whole armor of his father's house, the offspring and issue, every small vessel from the cups and all the flagons. And in that day, declares the Lord, the peg that was fastened to a secure place will give way and it will be cut down and fall and the load that was on it will be cut off for the Lord has spoken. These are examples of how Judah looked to men rather than God. The warning of Isaiah is don't look to yourselves, but also don't look to the leaders around you to solve the problems that only God can solve. There's this guy named Shebna. He's a fool. He's going to be destroyed. He's going to be replaced with Eliakim, good leader. But as soon as he's replaced, the people are going to look to him instead of looking to God, and God's going to take this guy out too. So what is Isaiah saying not just to Judah but to us? Do not look to yourself for an identity or for your own security. There is a temptation among us, the people of God, that in times of trouble, we look to ourselves for the solutions that we need. And that, according to the prophet, is foolishness. 
but also don't look to the leaders among you for what only God can provide. The principle is the same all through these oracles. You cannot accomplish God's plans by looking to yourself or looking to the leaders around you. Look to the Lord. Now let's go here, Isaiah 23. I'm not gonna read the whole chapter because it, it actually, the oracle gets a little redundant. So we're gonna read one through five and your homework is to finish six through 18 and we'll pick up in 24 next week. But Isaiah 23 once says, and this is the oracle concerning, oops, sorry, go back to the map one time. So we've covered Judah, Edom, Arabia, Babylon. We're covering Tyre and Sidon. These are twin cities right on the ocean, and both of them, both of them get the same oracle. 23.1, the oracle concerning Tyre. Wail, O ships of Tarshish, for Tyre is laid waste without house or harbor. From the land of Cyprus it is revealed to them. Be still, O inhabitants of the coast. The merchants of Sidon who cross the sea have filled you. And on many waters your revenue was the grain of Sheor, the harvest of the Nile. You were the merchant of the nations. Be ashamed, O Sidon, for the sea has spoken. The stronghold of the sea, saying, I have neither labored nor given birth. I have neither reared young men nor brought up young women. And when the report comes to Egypt, they will be in anguish over the report about Tyre. Now this oracle is about the fall of Tyre and Sidon. As I said, they're twin cities right on the coast and their job was, they were a port city. They supplied the entire region with goods and services. Their ships went all the way down to Egypt. They supplied the whole region with everything that they needed. So they were very wealthy and they were very good at trade. So this nation that was filled with trade, filled with money, filled with resources, when the world finds out that they have fallen and they're destroyed, they're in shock. How could such a wealthy and prosperous nation fall? How could that happen? Well, the answer is in verses eight and nine, because God has purposed it. They fell because God said, I've had enough of these people of the world trusting money and commerce, I'm putting an end to it. So Isaiah is saying don't trust money and don't trust compromise to save you from trouble. Now our goal in reading through these oracles was twofold, I said at the beginning. How did this apply to the people living in the region 2,700 years ago and how does this apply to God's people today? And I said when we started that the promise of the nations, which is really just ideologies and power structures of this world, the promise is always the same. We will offer salvation or identity or security or comfort. And it looks like money and compromise and false religion and self-sufficiency and just general this worldliness. That's what the offer on the table is. If you trust us, we will secure you. We will keep you safe. You just have to think like us. You just have to talk like us. 
You just have to be a citizen of this world. Well, here's the problem, guys. We're a citizen of a different world because we've been born again. We can't follow the standards and the expectations and the worldly systems of compromise. We can't give our hearts to this even though they promise security and identity because we've already got security and identity from a different kingdom, which means that we don't live here, we are just visiting here. One day our king is going to return and we will go back to our true home. We are sojourners in this land. We are exiles in this land. This is not our home. And the more we try to take the things of this world and bring us comfort and security to make this feel like home, the less we will make the kingdom of God our home. And that's the ongoing tension with the people of God. You either live like a citizen of heaven or you live like a citizen of earth. And when you live like a citizen of earth, what comes out of your mouth is more earthly, worldly, kingdom business. But when you live like a citizen of heaven and you fill yourself with what God tells you to fill yourself with, the only thing that comes out is the kingdom of heaven and his business and what he thinks is most important. So the offer 2,700 years ago is the same offer today. Trust the world for security. You're afraid? Trust the world. The world has an answer for your fear. You're anxious? The world's got an answer for that. You're afraid about your future? Don't worry. We've got that. All right, where do I sign? Well, read the fine print. Because what it's going to require of you is turning your back on that in order to pledge your allegiance to this. And a man can't serve two masters. You have to make a decision about where your allegiance lies. And that means either putting this world to death and following Jesus or feeding your flesh and following this world. So hear the words of Isaiah and hear the words of John the Revelator from earlier. Stop trusting this world and come out from the spirit of Babylon because if you don't, the Lord promises that you will start sharing in its plagues. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.